0: All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're going to start our reading there. We're going to go into 6 this morning. And so if you find your place, Ecclesiastes 5, find your place there and stand with me out of honor for God's Word this morning. Today we'll be in our series, Ecclesiastes, uh, this morning. And so let's begin our reading where we left off last week in verse 18. We concluded there. And then I want to just get into the first couple of verses of chapter 6, and we'll read more as the sermon progresses. So, chapter 5, verse 18, Solomon says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink, and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this Is the gift of God. Verse 20. For he shall not much remember the days of this life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank You for uh, the music today. Lord, thank You for the opportunity to sing from our hearts to You. Lord, thank You for the opportunity to give up our offerings today and to worship You in these ways. Father, thank You for the fellowship and time that we have to share. Lord, for our guests, Gimme Rays here today. Thank You for them, and pray Your blessings on them. And I pray that we'd be a blessing to them today and then a blessing to one another, to our guests that are gathered here on a holiday weekend. We're grateful. Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Help us to do business with your word and be better helped as a result of our time today and the thoughts that we consider. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We were in the in a van, a suburban I suppose, with uh, all the staff guys and Pastor Drell and uh, that was about six weeks ago when we were traveling and pastor was driving and he leans over his shoulder and we're just making small talk. And he asked the staff guys this question, what's your dream car? And so a few of us were like, um, uh, one that runs, um, and it's not a minivan. Right. And so, <laughs> so well, a lot of us have little kids right now and we're in the minivan stage. So, you know, we, we start to engage in this really fun conversation about like, what's our dream car? And so if you, the guys, answer pretty quickly, and some of us were, we'd answer and then we'd change our mind. And you know, maybe, Actually, I think I want this car. But maybe that's a question you've considered before, and I'm sure some of you have never thought about it, but I'm sure many of you have many times over. This, is, this would be my dream car. Uh, I want you to imagine this scenario with me this morning, just for a second, for sake of illustration. And so I'm going to give this illustration, and then I want you to hold this thought towards the end of the sermon, okay? So we're gonna, we're gonna pivot here, we're gonna transition, but I wanna give this story first. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're telling someone about your dream car and someone overhears you go through all the details of your dream car and you get a knock on the door, you know, a week later and here is a man, he's obviously a delivery man and he's holding a pair of keys in his hand and he says, I have a delivery for you and he says your name and you say, "Yeah, that's me." He says, "I have a delivery for you. I need you to sign." And you say, well, "What is it?" And he says, "Well, it's on the driveway." You walk to the driveway, and lo and behold, there is your dream car. And you're in just dis- disbelief. He says, "I need you to sign for it." He, you sign. He drives away, and you are thinking, "Who gifted me this? Like, where did this? Co- How is this even possible?" Who would have spent this much money? And you you take the keys, you walk around the car, you're just in awe, you unlock it, you get inside, you push the start button, and, and really, if, if it's a dream car, you really should rev it up a little. It wouldn't be a start button, it'd be it'd turn over. So anyway, just throwing that out there. You turn that baby over, man, and, and the lights light up on the dash. You've, you're smelling the... You know that smell—the new car smell. Uh, it's just nothing like it, and you can't replicate it. It's just—it's a new car. The lights light up, and the, and then that's it. And you're just like, well, well, maybe I maybe I didn't do it right. You know, maybe I'm, I'm missing gear. Maybe maybe I didn't push the pedal. I, you know, maybe I got to do something special. You do it again, it, it doesn't it doesn't start. You get out. You go to the engine compartment. Okay, so if your dream car's a Tesla, that, that's not even possibility. So just forget that, right? So I know they don't have engines, but you open the, the engine compartment there and you, and you look inside and there's no engine. Like, can you imagine how disappointed you would be? How absurd is that? Why would you have a car that didn't have an engine? And the verses we just read a moment ago, Solomon is kind of saying this. Here's a dream life, and it has no enjoyment. Here, here is, here's like, the, this is the, like, this is the life to live, and it has no enjoyment. It's like a dream car without an engine. Okay, let's catch up from where we were last week in chapter five. Because throughout chapter five, Solomon is teaching us the vanity of money and possessions. And he says and teaches that we spend so much of our life, our time, our energy, our effort, so much of our emotion wrapped up in earning money and getting more stuff and more things. And this is an evil and it's not wrong. And he never casts judgment on it. But the idea behind this pursuit of more has a way of complicating our lives. And we need to stop and we need to consider From time to time, not just what kind of life we're making, what kind of living we're making, but what kind of life we're making. Because our happiness will never come and never be found in the things we dream about. That dream car, as spectacular as it is, even with an engine, is only going to be a dream car for a short time because then there's going to be another dream car. That's the way life works. So after laboring us, to us, to convince us that he gets to the end of chapter five. So he's saying, be careful, this pursuit of more, be thoughtful, be sure you're not just working so hard to make a living that you forget to make a life. That was last week's thought, that more money and more stuff, it's not always better. And he labors on this idea, but then he gets to the end of chapter five. And he says, but if you have money and if you have stuff, or whatever money, whatever stuff, whatever riches, whatever wealth that you possess, he says this, you should enjoy it. You should appreciate it. You should value it and you should purpose to just enjoy it. Now this almost sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Because where does the power of enjoyment come from? Well, verse 19, chapter 5, look there again. He says, every man also to whom God hath given. Okay, where's the source come from? Well, God. So God's given. In verse 18, he said that he gives to every man a portion of what what God intends to give to them. We talked about that last week. And so God's given riches and wealth, and he hath given him power to eat thereof. He says that we might rejoice in labor. He says, and this is, again, it's the gift of God. Where did the gift come from? Where did the riches come from? Where did the wealth come from? The good in your life. And we said this last week, we tried to define wealth. And wealth means you have more than what you need to eat and shelter your body, right? So to a degree, almost all Americans, or the most majority of us today, would be considered wealthy and rich. And he says, enjoy these. These are so the gift of whom? Well, not yourself. Yeah, you may have worked hard, but God still blessed you. And God still gave these things to you. And this insight, it is profound. And it shouldn't escape us this morning. All of a sudden, we are presented this view of God, that God is the giver of good, that God is the source of good, that he is in control and he blesses and he watches over us and he gives to us good good things. And so he says this word this morning, he says, I want you to rejoice. You've labored, God's blessed, you rejoice. The idea of rejoice is to brighten up and sometimes we walk around with a cloud over our head. And we have so many good things going for us. And we don't focus on those. We focus on the things that aren't. And, and we just have this cloud over us. And, and Solomon is saying, look, no, 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 no. Have a right perspective of life and brighten up. Be a happy person. Cheer up. Put a smile on your face. Be a grateful human being. Enjoyment is God-centered. You remove God from that equation... You're going to remove enjoyment from life. And he says enjoyment is God-centered. The world God created, it has so many rich gifts, but the power to enjoy them, it's not in the gifts. In themselves, the ability to enjoy wealth, the ability, the power to enjoy family and friendship and food and work and intimacy or any other good gift, it comes from God. Okay, verse 20, chapter 5. For he shall, look there with me. For he shall not much remember the days of his life. Okay, so he's saying the days of our life are vanity and there are some things here because of a sinful world that are bad. But this man, it's not that he's not going to remember any of it. This man who purposes to enjoy life and be grateful and brighten up, it's not that he's not going to remember all the bad. It's just that he's going to enjoy what God's given to him. And he says, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. So when we learn to enjoy what we have, the gifts of people, the gift of food, the gift of entertainment, the gift of all the things that God blesses us with, and we appreciate them, and we enjoy them, and we experience joy, he is saying that the difficulties of this life, the hard travail, the things we look at that are purposeless, the vanity, the, 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 the difficult circumstances we've gone through relationally and economically, he's saying this. He's saying the two kind of, you know, God's goodness outweighs all the bad. That's what he's saying here. For the man who has the right perspective, for the woman, for the young person that has the right perspective of enjoyment, he is saying this. In the end, essentially, the good outweighs the bad. Had a good life, and I have got, let me tell you, a really great eternity. And he says, and that really outweighs it. Okay. One verse later, we get to chapter 6. This is perhaps one of the most abrupt transitions in the Bible. We go from this mountaintop experience. And Psalm saying, God, me, Lord's good, life's good, everything's great. We just have to have the right perspective. We have to purpose to enjoy. We have to recognize him. We, it's like we just ascended this mountain. We're looking out over this beautiful view, and we're just enjoying this awesome, spectacular view. And then tragedy strikes. And you fall off the mountain. Like, like for those that are height, scared of heights, this is a nightmare scenario, right? For any of us, it would be. And all of a sudden we're tumbling down this mountainside. You, you have that feeling of, of just air underneath you. And we are crashing at the bottom and saying, What happened? What looked so beautiful? What looked so lovely is now a nightmare. Some commentators have called chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes the saddest chapter in the Bible. And Solomon wrestles in verse 1 with what he calls evil. Like we just went from this really great spot to now we're talking about evil. And he says in verse 1, there is an evil, he says, which I have seen under the sun. And then these words that kind of make us shudder a little bit. And it is common among men. Lots of people experience this. And he says, it's an evil, what's the evil? Well, he begins to articulate that to us and illustrates that to us with the story of a man. And so in verse two, this man had wealth and honor. Verse two again with me, a man to whom God's given riches, wealth and honor. So he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God hath given him not power to eat it. This person works hard his whole life God gives him riches. God gives him wealth. God gives him honor. He has all these things, and Solomon says, "In fact, you have to understand this. He has so much; he doesn't even want anything else. Like his wanter stopped wanting because he had everything he needed. He had it all. Who would have had wealth like that, Solomon? But this man is not is not happy." He has no reason to be unhappy, but he's not happy. Okay, then we get to verses three through six, and I'm going to read these. You read along with me, and we'll explain them. He says, if a man beget an hundred children, and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he, for he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness. And his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor nor anything, that hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he he seen no good. Do not all go to one place. Okay, so Here's a guy who's concerned about how long he lives. We all are concerned to some degree about that. Someone dies at a young age, what we consider young, and we think life was cut short, it's not fair. And to all of us, we're concerned to some degree about longevity. And so this man is, and he says, God gives to this man 2,000 years of life. I don't know that I want to live that long. You may, I don't know, but that's a really long time. And he's making this point, it's an extreme example. This guy just lives for a really long, he has got this really long life that God's blessed him with. Not just that, but he has 100 children. Okay. His poor wife. All right, we'll start there. But again, it's hyperbole. He's making a point to an Old Testament Jew to whom he was writing, having abundant resources, which this man did. He wanted nothing. Okay, he had everything. And a long life, which he did, 2,000 years. And he had a large family. These were all marks of God's special favor to him. But for all this man's resources, for his large family... For his abundance, for his longevity, no one loves him. Solomon says, that is an evil. It's evil and it's common among men. What's common? That a man would have a 100 children and abundant resources? No, but that he wouldn't be loved. That's common that we have no one that really cares for him. He says, that's common among men. And he says, to not be loved, that is evil. It's not right. It's heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching to Solomon. And perhaps this is how he views himself. Here's this man who dies, and no one comes to his funeral. It's what he says. His relatives stick around for the inheritance, not because they care about him. The man had everything, but he had no love. And because he had no love, he had no joy. He had no satisfaction. And Solomon concludes, and here's what he concludes in these verses we just read. It would have been better for this man without love to never have ever been born. Job said something like that, didn't he? He says, or if I was born and I just had to go through that process, that it would have been better if I were still born. Okay, one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life was walking to the hospital room and seeing a mama hold a stillborn baby. It's gut-wrenching. And he says it's sadder than that. He says, I wish that would have been a better life for me than the one I'm experiencing without love, without satisfaction, and without joy. In verse seven, he says, the man worked so hard for the purpose of fulfillment to find more. He had all that he ever wanted, and yet he could not find satisfaction. It was never enough food. It was never enough wealth. It was never enough of anything. His longings never ceased. And so in verses eight through 12, Solomon begins to just ask all these gut-wrenching questions, questions like, is satisfaction even possible? Like, is it even, a, can it ever happen? Why bother to make decisions if everything's already predetermined? Like, why should I even choose? Why disagree with God? You can't oppose Him and win. So what's the point? What do we accomplish with all these words that we're talking about these things? Does talking solve any problems? He says, who knows what's good for us? Verse 12, does anyone know what's coming next? These are deep questions we could, we could fill volumes answering them and take hours discussing them. But at the end of the day, we are going to have hurting brains and we are not going to have real answers. Why? Well, Because in chapter 6, Solomon took God out of the equation. After having God, this high, he removed God. And where does that take you? To the low. You try to answer life's hardest questions without God and you just try to answer the question... You're going to be frustrated. You're going to get everyone. Everyone here is going to get to different conclusions. But when we start with God, and then we work our way through the question, well, then it's like God. I trust you, God. I don't understand, but but I'm beginning to understand you, and that frames our life. I know you have a purpose. His word teaches us that every situation, those that love Him and are called to His purposes, when we are committed to Him, He's going to take that and work it for good. We may not see all the components and all the story, but we trust Him. So we start with God, and all of a sudden we find real answers. And so at the end of chapter 5, we have this really high, high. At the beginning of chapter 6, and at the end of chapter 6, we go to this really low, low, low. Okay, I want us to focus on this idea this morning. Life with God's power to enjoy it, and life without God's power to enjoy it. Okay? Life with God's power to enjoy it and life without God's power to enjoy it. And what does that even mean? 1543, Nicholas Copernicus, he published De Revolution Abyss, Orbium Colestium. In English, that means On the Revolution of Celestial Spheres. Until then, most of the world believed that the earth was the center of the universe. Of course we would think that. It's <laughs> in our nature to think we think we are the center of the universe. So we thought that. And he comes along and says, no, no, no. He says, he says, the earth's not the center of the universe. And we, we thought, well, the, the sun revolves around the earth. And he says, no. He goes, the earth revolves around what? It revolves around the sun. It's an astounding revelation. It changed the way humans saw the entire universe. Solomon is making the same point about two ideas, success and happiness. Okay, I'm going I'm to flip the switch from preacher to teacher for just a second. Okay, so I need you to hang with me mentally. We'll flip it back to preacher in a second and have some application here but we need some information to get to the point where I want to go. So, so stick with me for a minute. We think in life that success comes before happiness. This is in, in, in intuitive to us. It's what the world pounds into us. It's what we learn in school. If you work hard and you put in the hard labor and you put your nose to the grindstone and you become successful, someday down the road you can have Happiness. It's what we believe in our core. It's what we work for. It's how we behave. We think this. Success is the center of the universe, and it's the ultimate goal, and it's what we are to strive for. Why would we strive for success? Why would we put in the long hours? Why would we make all the sacrifices for success? Why do we want to be successful so that someday we can be happy? But it's not true. Solomon is proving it to us. Too many of us are willing to sacrifice happiness. He says the word rejoicing for success. Why? Well, because we believe that hard work leads to success and success leads to happiness. That is the equation the world gives us. The problem is this, the equation is broken. It is wrong and it's not accurate. The opposite of how we think is often true. Here's what's true. Success is at the center. Success instead orbits like the earth around the sun around happiness. Happiness is the sun. Success orbits around that and it's not the other way around. Success comes oftentimes from happiness and it comes from joy we become more successful when we are happy and more positive and modern psychology proves this to us over and over again all of the current research proves this and i and i don't have time to go into all the illustrations and and the plethora of information that's out there you can do your own research here in one study recently done by three social scientists, they've got long names, some can tell you they're from the University of California, University of Missouri, and the University of Illinois. They all teamed up to do this big study. And they did extensive research and they wanted to answer this question. Does happiness lead to success? This was the academic journal article that they wrote. It was entitled, The Benefits of Frequent Positive Effect, Does Happiness Lead to Success? And this was their conclusion. And I'm just gonna give you one sentence. You can look it up later if you want study after study shows that happiness precedes important outcomes and indicators of thriving what are they saying they're saying we imagine that success is the center of the universe and it's not happiness is and that success revolves around that happiness first will produce in time successful outcomes and we get it backward We want success first because we think happiness is coming and they're saying the equation is wrong. It's completely flip-flopped. And we sacrifice in the meantime happiness for success only to lower our chances of happiness. We're going to chase success and we lose out on the very thing we're after in the first space. And Solomon proves it to us all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. But nowhere is this more evident than in the text this morning. Happiness first, success second. Okay, as Christians, what's the source of happiness? How do we get happiness? Well, Solomon says it's through God's power. Okay, um, screen. Do we have that verse ready, guys? Okay, I've highlighted these verses, and I want us to read them together. And I want you to pay careful attention to the words that are bolded and bigger on the two screens we're going to read. Okay, so chapter 5, verse 19 of our text this morning, look at the word. He says, God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power. Who gives power to eat thereof, to take his portion to rejoice, to brighten up, to be happy in his labor. This is the gift of God. God hath given him power. Next verse, chapter 6, verse 2. A man whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor. Okay, s- same scenario. So that he wants nothing for his soul, but all that he desireth. God giveth him what? Not power. So one man, God's given power. To one man, God has what? He has not given power. What is Solomon suggesting here? Okay, question. Is the power to enjoy life arbitrarily given by God? Okay, here's a guy who's got wealth and riches and honor, and by the way, it's got an engine in it. This guy's got the power to enjoy it from God. This guy has the car, the dream car, and it has no engine. He's got the wealth, he's got the riches, he's got the honor, he's got it all, and he has no power to enjoy it. God gave it. Is the power to enjoy life arbitrarily given by God? Is it like winning the ultimate lottery? Do some of us get to enjoy life and then some of us don't? I think you know where I'm going, but let me just answer it. The answer is no. It's not arbitrarily given. The end of verse 19 says, this is the gift of God. What do we know about gifts? Okay, well, like salvation, the Bible says that salvation is a gift of God. The power from God to enjoy life is a gift. And what do you you have to do about a gift? You have to receive it. You have to take it. Someone offers me a gift, and I say, that's too much. I don't want it. And then, no, thank you. And I reject the gift. Is the gift mine? No. What do I have to do? What do you have to do to, re- to, to, to actually possess a gift that someone gives you? You have to receive it. You have to take it. It's already sitting in front of you. The power to enjoy the good in your life is already available to you. You have to pick it up. You have to unwrap it. You have to receive it. So here's the question. Will you or will you not enjoy, through God's power, the life you have? It's a choice. Like your life is good enough. You have blessings. You need to find those and you need to receive them. Will you or will you not accept what he's given to you with dignity and with grace and with a smile? There was a point in my life early on where I was having a hard time receiving anything from anyone. I felt like I had to be the giver. And a good friend told me, it takes more grace to receive a gift than it does to give one. Because I, I, I just don't I just feel like I'm doing enough. I'm not giving. He says, no, no, you need to stop and accept. You need to take. And God says, I've given you a lot. You're not accepting it. You're not taking this gift of enjoyment that I have here for you. Will you or will you not accept what He's given to you with dignity and grace? Will you or will you not exhibit His grace by finding the good and enjoying and appreciating it? Okay, your expectations may not be met. So, God's not giving me what I want, He's not giving me the things that I really want. I can't be happy about it. Wrong perspective. Your expectations may not be met. You may not, and I would guess 100% of us in here have everything that they want. But you have what he gave you, verse 18. And what he gave you, that is a gift. And you can look at it and reject it, or you can receive it and rejoice in it. Okay, let me be mean for just a second. I never mean ever, so this is the first time I've ever been mean to you. Okay. (laughs) Give me one second to be mean, and then I'll try to be nice again. I'll try. Okay. Receive this with the grace you can, because it's a help if you can. Your failure to acknowledge God's goodness to you, it is a character problem. It is a lack of gratitude and a wrong perspective. It's a character problem. See, the ability to enjoy life, the ability to brighten up, the ability to be a happy person, it comes from within. It is a matter of character and it is not a matter of circumstance. There are not enough circumstances in the world that will ever make you happy. Rejoicing is a gift from God that you receive or you don't. It's a matter of character. It's a choice we make to accept the gift and say, thank you, God. You'll listen to Missionary Beam's testimony tonight is nothing compared to us grew up in the streets in poverty eight years old on the streets starving to death came to America was under 100 pounds happiest person I've ever met it's not a matter of circumstance I choose to be happy I choose to be grateful and guess what happens to people that are grateful and happy Success comes later. And I, I don't have time this morning. I don't have time to finish the sermon I have. There's story after story after story, study after study after study. Happy people become successful. And we just wanna be successful and be mean-spirited and unhappy and then imagine that that's gonna come and it never will. It never, we're chasing the wind. You will never be happy until you have fixed this equation in your life. Well, I have moments of happiness, sure. The Bible says that even in sin we find momentary pleasure. But it never lasts. Your sorrow will return. Your meaninglessness that you feel, the contempt in your heart you have for your life comes back. Only God gives purpose. Only God gives joy. Only God gives grace. Period. End of conversation. There's no but. There's no conjunction at the end. Like that's it. You receive it. You take it. This is a choice each of us has to make. How? How do we receive the God's gift of the power to enjoy life? Here's a guy who takes it. Here's a guy who doesn't take it. What's the difference? What is he doing? Okay, big questions. Let me offer two solutions from the text. Choose to love and be loved by the people in your life. It is not enough to have all the wealth and riches, and a thousand, uh, you know, live 2,000 years and have 100 children. These were measures of success to an Old Testament Jew, and Solomon says this metric's broken. That's not a measurement of true happiness and joy. That's not going to brighten you up. That's not going to make you a cheerful person. The man in chapter 6 had no one that loved him. He had everything, and he had nothing. No one cared about him, and his conclusion was this. I got it all, and I wish I had never been born. It's a sad ending to life. And what's even more sad is Solomon says, it's common among men, and it doesn't have to be. Don't let that be you. It doesn't have to be you. Don't get to life's end and have so much and no one that loves you the ability to love and to be loved is perhaps God's greatest gift. Give love and receive love. And we preach this, and I'm going to preach it again this morning, and I'll never get tired of saying it, that those who are not loved and those that they, they do not have love coming towards them is because often they are the ones that aren't loving. You reap what you sow. To give no love is to receive no love. You sow no corn seed, you reap no corn. This is the illustration God gives us. You sow no love, you get no love. You sow corn, you get corn to eat fill your belly. You sow love and you receive love that fills your heart and soul. And we need that. It's what we thrive on. If you give love, you will in time reap it too. You want to be happy? You want to receive God's power to enjoy life? You want to be this guy with the engine in the car? Go home today and love your family. Love your spouse. Love your children. Look around this room today. Love the people that are here. Look and consider the people that should be here that aren't here. And maybe love on them this week too. Love enough to to pass out a track and share God's word. And love enough about another soul across the world who doesn't know Jesus Christ and is dying and going out. Love enough to give some money to missions and be a support to what our church is trying to do globally and in this world. Love your neighbor. Most of all, fall in love with God. There is no life without love. Love is life's greatest treasure. So love. Number two, and I only have two, so don't panic. Stop waiting for someday to be a happy person. Find joy in today. Joy and satisfaction, Solomon is saying, is all throughout God's Word. It comes from within. It does not come from without. This is a matter of character, not circumstance. Joy and satisfaction. Do not come from the square footage of your home. You increase that square footage, sure it's gonna be a blessing today, but you're gonna forget about it later. They don't come from the brand names in your closet. They don't come from the leather couches in your living room. They're not found in economic status. They're not found in pleasure or a drug or a thrill. Joy and satisfaction, they are found in God. They are found in people. They are found in the choices you make. You have all you need this moment today to walk out of here and brighten up, Amen. to rejoice in the gift of God, to express gratitude to him and say, God, my life's not perfect. It's not what I dream. Relationships aren't all, 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 all right, but God, I've got enough to be happy. I will choose to love, and I will choose to accept love because I need to, and I'm going to stop waiting to be a happy person one day. I'm going to stop pursuing success because success won't make you happy. I'm going to be happy and trust that in time, all things shall be added unto me, just like your word promises, just like you promised me. Happiness, joy, rejoicing, writing up first, success second. What good is a car without an engine? On a much greater scale, what good is a great life without God? See, if you don't enjoy, if you don't love, if you don't rejoice in what God's given to you, you will forfeit the very gifts he's laid in front of you. Gifts like, gifts you can't buy. Gifts like peace. Gifts like joy and happiness true beauty and blessing. If we want happiness, we're going to have to start with God, and we're going to have to work our way to happiness and then to success. God is the precursor to happiness, and happiness is the precursor to success. Waiting to be happy limits your ability to be successful, to make a difference for God and for other people. It has been said, today's a good day to have a good day. And I would just say, today's a good day. You're going to have to choose to make it so. You're going to have to walk out of here and go love somebody. You ain't going to get it if you don't give it. You're going to have to purpose in your heart. God gave me what he gave me. Verse 18, chapter 5. This is my portion. This is my piece of the pie. I'm going to stop comparing it to everybody else. This is God's gift to me. Thank you, God. And I will rejoice today. This is the day the Lord hath made. And I'm going to rejoice in today and be glad in it a spirit of rejoicing this is the challenge from Solomon today make today a good day the saddest chapter in the bible does not have to reflect your life it's a warning so you stay away from it and your life can be the exact opposite let's live in chapter five and not chapter six